electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, John, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner here at Post 9, front and center this hour inside the stock drop. How long it lasts, which names are most at risk. And when do you step in and buy? That is the big question. The investment committee making all sorts of interesting moves today. We'll reveal them and, of course, debate where your money is going to work best in the weeks ahead. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha, the chief investment officer at Boston Private Wealth. Kerry Firestone is CEO of Arius Asset Management. Josh Brown, Pete Najarian here as well on this Friday. It's nice to see everybody. Take a look at the major averages. They've been under pressure all morning long. The Dow now down about 400, was down more than 500. You have some seasonality at play for sure. Those hawkish comments, too, from St. Louis Fed president on CNBC this morning, James Bullard having an impact as well. All right, Pete. Jim Cramer suggested seasonality. You know, you got quad witching and all that. You get through today, you get through Monday, you have a few days of chop and maybe some more volatility, but then you're set up for something pretty good as you get into July. You agree with that? What do you think about the market here, Pete? Yeah, I tend to agree with Jim on that. I, I, I think that we obviously have, like you mentioned, the quad witching. And I can, I can tell you this, the volume yesterday, Scott, in the derivatives world was absolutely astounding. We traded 49 million contracts in the options world. So a lot of activity yesterday, and we're seeing a lot more activity today. That's not unusual, but the high amount of volumes that we're seeing are absolutely extraordinary. So that stands out for me. But I can tell you this, I, I, I think Jim has a point there. I think there are a lot of parts of the market that are navigating this very, very well. But we are facing exactly what the Fed has been talking about as well, which is this inflationary issue. And yes, we've seen some comeback in lumber. We've seen some comeback in some of these different commodities it, it, themselves. But it's still there and there still is the labor issues as well. And I think the combination of all of that will start to work its way out as we get later into summer and into the fall. So to Jim's point, I think looking forward, I think there are a lot of positives, but there are certain aspects of the market that are getting hit and the financials being one of them. It's one of my favorite sectors, but it's definitely backed off the entire month of June so far has been very, very dismal for most of the financials. But I think there are other parts of the market that are making up for it. Old, old tech. And when I say old tech, I truly mean old tech. I'm talking about names like Salesforce and go back to Cisco and look at Apple, look at Microsoft. Those kinds of names really have taken, I think, the wheel once again. And I think those are the names that are going to lead us as far as old tech to the upside, along with some of those semiconductor names as well. Hey, I think it's interesting, Pete. I mean, you know, the financials and we tend to talk about the financials and really think about it in the prism of just the big money center banks. It's, it's obviously a lot more than that. You know, the credit card companies, for example, you're stepping in today and buying calls in Capital One and you're buying some Wells Fargo calls. You already own shares in, in both of those companies. What's the statement yeah. there about the financials, which have been, well, as you said, ugly this week? Yep. Yeah. 
It's been a really rough June for them, but I think that, you know what, just like it was when everybody, and I, I listen to people time and time again on this show tell me how bad things are for Apple, and yet we had this nice move. It wasn't a gigantic move, but it was a move from, call it 125, 126, back over 131. When you have the options, the derivatives world, and you get that leverage that you get, that's when those really do pay off. So. That made sense to me that I would be buying Apple, I'd be buying Microsoft, I'd be buying a lot of the different names that I already own, but with calls only. I've already got the stocks. Same thing true for the financials. I'm looking at the financials. I like a lot of these names. I think Capital One is still incredibly inexpensive. They've got the credit card element to them, but the stock has been absolutely ripping to the upside, and now it's pulled back significantly. I think it's about $20 off the highs. So why not buy it, step in there, and buy some calls if I'm right, and we get any kind of move to the upside in some of these financials. I think Wells Fargo, I think names like Capital One certainly will participate very nicely to the upside, and those calls ought to give me great returns in a very short period of time. Uh, you know, so Shannon, we mentioned these Bullard comments today, and they undoubtedly have had an impact on the stock market. He was, he was more hawkish than maybe some people expected, said inflation, there's more inflation than they were expecting. He talked about he sees the first rate hike at the end of 20. 22, maybe a little bit more forward than the, the market was expecting. You know, on the other side of that, of course, you have you have David Tepper with those comments to me yesterday. Stock market looks pretty good. Scott Minard made some comments yesterday that he thinks inflation is going to go down. Jeremy Siegel said he's not lowering his stock exposure, even though he thinks you could have a little bit more upset in, in the market. And then Rick Reeder told us the following yesterday. I mean, he's managing $2.7 trillion over at BlackRock. Let's listen to Reader. We'll kick that on the other side. I don't think at the end of the day it's that big a deal. So, you know, we'd love the market to pull back a bit. You know, we've been, as we've talked about in your show, we're holding some cash. We'd like the market to pull back. Listen, I don't think it's going down very far. There are some companies that are that are out there, quite frankly, they've gotten repriced recently, that are 12 to 15 percent persistent ROE type of companies that we'd love to buy at cheaper levels. All right, that's BlackRock's Rick Reeder. Said they were unloading some treasuries yesterday unloading some financial stocks, things like that. But, Shan, what do you make of what Rick Reeder said in this environment now where Bullard's brought the market down a little bit? Dow's down 400 as I ask you this question. Well, I think if you look at this week, Scott, there's been nothing surprising. And frankly, I just go back to, you know, what are the tailwinds and the potential headwinds? The headwinds are higher rates and a taper. Um, Powell wants to normalize. He's basically told all of us it, at every opportunity over the last six to nine months that they will normalize when the economy can justify that normalization. And so in my mind, I'm just looking at going back to 2018, 2019 in this low growth environment. I'm expecting a stronger growth environment going into next year. If I think about how I want to position my portfolio, regardless of what's happening with the Fed, if I'm expecting accelerating economic growth and potentially modestly higher inflation, at least in the near term, I want to be in stocks. And so over the next couple of weeks, you and I both know that there's going to be institutional rebalancing. You know that there's going to be some trimming of stocks versus what bonds have done in portfolios that have a specific mandate of that allocation between stocks and bonds. And, and investors should take advantage of that. I mean, there's there are good companies 
that are going to continue to thrive into next year in this economic growth environment that should be in the portfolio. And you don't have to take binary risks. You don't have to go super cyclical if you don't feel like it's appropriate for you. You can buy some of those names that Pete was just talking about, old tech. I guess I'm an old person because I love old tech. But I think that those are important (laughs) points. And so investors should feel comfortable in getting into these names because equities are where you want to be in this environment. Even if the Fed does have to move a little bit faster, they're going to move a little bit faster because the economy is accelerating at a rate that we haven't accelerated at in a decade. Yeah. TRB, you know, I love when you riff uh, just on what you're seeing in the market. It's been a volatile week. It's been a big week and maybe in some respects a a game changer of of a week, given what Jay Powell had to say, how Bullard has buttoned it up at the end here on Friday. What do you think? Judge, it's been a hilarious week. The last time I was on the show was Monday, and everybody on Wall Street was in a tizzy about Paul Tudor Jones talking about going all in on the inflation uh, bet. Well, I hope you didn't do that, because if you did, you had a really tough week. I think the cyclical and value pullback makes sense, just given how much a lot of this stuff has been up. Um, It doesn't mean, though, that you necessarily want to dive back in and buy them all. But let me just give you a little bit of context here. I think this is helpful for the viewers. The XHB, this is the home builders, 13% off the highs, and it happened fast. However, still up 21% year to date. The financials are 8% off their highs, also fast, but they're still up 20% year to date. And I could do the same thing with uh, materials, with industrials. Transports, another good example, in a 10% drawdown. This is not to say they can't go lower, but if you should be viewing this pullback as normal. What else did you expect them to do? Keep going up at the same pace forever? The banks in early June were up 30% year to date. You extrapolated that out. You thought you'd get another 30% in the second half of this year. It's not realistic. So if you threw away your growth stocks and went all in on that value trade, um, I think you made a mistake because look what's roaring back right now. Look at my Amazon. We are pennies away from an all-time record high. I told you, I think this is the name for the second half of this year. Look at the run in Shopify. Sick. I'm not allowed to mention NVIDIA here, but I'm mentioning it. Up 8% in two days. Sick. (laughs) The ARC names look good. Now, look over at the MTUM, the ETF. This is momentum. Remember, it rebalanced into value right at the top. So take a look at this thing getting smacked here. So you really don't want to be going all in on these thematic bets. I know it's tempting when a billionaire goes on Squawk Box. Don't do that stuff. Have a diversified portfolio and accept the idea that from Monday to Friday, the narrative can change, almost do a 180. The 30-year Treasury now almost back under 2%. The Fed can't raise rates. What, are they going to invert the yield curve on purpose? Relax. That's why I I love... um the way you you just give your perspective, I, it's, it's helpful to hear all of that. Uh, Carrie, Josh tees it up perfectly for, for my question to you as to whether the value trade is, is dead or on its last legs. Banks, dismal. Energy, maybe not the place you want to be, some say either. That's topped out. What, what, what do you think? I mean, industrials, materials, right? These typical, classic, cyclical areas of the market have been rolling. Yeah, so 
If, if you look at what's happened o- over the past nine months, we had a peak of Apple on September 2nd. And it's been six months, practically, when many of these stocks have been underperforming the reopening or cyclical or value stocks. Uh, and that's quite a while. That's, that's a lifetime in, in the, uh, the age of, a, of, of trading and fast money. But, it, but in fact, if you held on to the Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, what we've seen is those stocks kind of bottom plateaued out for this cycle and they've started to come back very nicely. Now, it, it doesn't mean that you get rid of the others, as Josh said. You know, markets sort of move around and having a bet all on one side of the market or the other is a mistake. If you show this chart, I, I have a table that Vinny put together. It's about what's been happening year to date and for the last month. This is the the best performing stocks, best performing five stocks in the top of the S&P, the biggest weight names, the 30 largest uh, companies. And you can see that for the year to date, it was dominated by energy and financials. Uh, I know it looks like Miss Piggy. Vinny, I hope that's not supposed to be me giving a class in finance. But if you look at the year to date numbers for, for the top stocks, those are all technology technology or digital players. There's been in the last month this enormous shift back to growth away from value and reopening. We, we can only reopen once. We reopen now. So that ship has sailed. It doesn't mean all those stocks are ones you don't want to own. We own American Express. It, it hasn't even begun to see business travel yet. Visa, cross-border trade. I mean, that's a lot of business for, for companies that are beginning now to see the benefit, and those stocks have underperformed. But the big momentum is with the growth stocks, the biggest growth stocks with sustainable earnings, 20% a year, you know, some of them over the next several years, versus 8 to 10% for the S&P. So I think you have to own them, but deciding to trade all out of one into another is not the way people who are in- investors should think act. There is a legitimate question, though, Pete, as to whether the, the value trade is on fumes, to say the least. I mean, if you look at, let's say, between the chemical names and the industrial names, you know, marquee names in, in, in all of these spaces over the past week, Sherwin-Williams talked about on this show and owned numerous times, down 3%. Freeport's down 14 and a half Dow Chemical is down eight and a half. PPG is down five. DuPont seven. United Rentals down six. Honeywell down five. Union Pacific down two and a half. GE's down six. Whereas I look at the growth trade, I've got Apple up two and a half percent. It was north of 130, 130 and change. So it had gotten finally out of the 120s. Microsoft's up a a percent. Mm -hmm. Amazon, to Josh's point earlier, is up four. I mean, is this a lasting trend change now? Well, I, you know, I think I think that it, it's this healthy rotation that we've been talking about for most of the year, though, Scott. I mean, honestly, we've been bringing this up time and time again. And when I say rotation, you know me. I'm not really the guy who talks about value, quote unquote, stocks. I think there are stocks out there where you've got incredible growth, of course. And you look at the old tech and you look at semiconductors and you look at that sort of area there that we probably view as that area of much more on the growth side. 
But I tell you what, I think there are quality names out there as well that maybe don't have the same kind of uh, uh, fuel to go to the upside like we see in some of these other names. But they can actually move dramatically fast. I mean, when you look at what, what has happened this year, for instance, with the Freeport Mac or some of those energy names like an Occidental, whatever names that you want to bring up in, in different categories that really do have some spring load to them that have been really moving to the upside. I, I think that this offers another opportunity. I look at some of these names like a Freeport, like a U.S. Steel, that have definitely come off of some of those highs, and they're significantly off of their highs. And I think it's starting to get to that area again for me where I'm starting to reevaluate and say, hey, look, these these could begin to get that move to the upside again, especially when the president's talking about infrastructure and everything else. I think that there are reasons why some of these are taking that pause and that pullback, but that doesn't mean that it's done and they're done for the year. I still think that there's a possibility that we get some nice movement out of some of those names that were loved and not, not so much so now. You have some pretty you know, decent exposure, by the way, Pete, in, in the energy patch. You own Oxy Huge. Calls, Occidental. Yeah. Um, you trimmed a little today, wor mm -hmm. worth noting. But, yeah. you know, Chevron yeah. shares you own, Kinder Morgan shares you own, yeah. Apache Calls, Baker Hughes Calls, SLB, Schlumberger Calls, Exxon Calls. Mm -hmm. are, you, are you at all worried that, you know, some of these trades have, have tapped themselves out? No. Um, and, and the reason I say that is this. I know that this move has been dramatic, and we talk about going back to November, $36 for crude. Now you talk about $72 just the other day. Then we pulled back underneath 70 But I think that the, we're still sitting in a position now, Scott, in my opinion at least, in the energy space where – Two steps forward, one step back. And that's what we've been doing a little bit. We've had some, some bumps along the way. It's not been a straight-up uh, trajectory for these energy names. But you look at those, specifically those beta names that I talk about all the time, the XOP, and you look at the Devons and the Slumbergers and the Apaches and all those kinds of names, I'll tell you what, they have had those pullbacks, and yet they seem to strike and go a little bit higher. I still think crude has room to the upside. I don't think we're done at 72. I actually think we're going to see 75 to 80 in the not-too-distant future. Then I'm going to start to get probably peel back a little bit. But until then, I do think there's a little bit more room for crude to move to the upside. Shan, um, EOG and Valero are the stocks that you own. You sold Chevron maybe six months or so ago. What's your view on, on this trade? We've talked about it, you know, probably more than we, we have in an awfully long time over the last few weeks for obvious reasons, as crude oil has gotten that bump, as Pete said. And I look here right now, crude is pushing 72 bucks. So we've obviously hit a trade that we haven't talked about all that much. It's a small part of the S&P 500. That's one of the reasons why the stocks seem to be out of favor for a number of reasons, including ESG investing and the like. What do you think here? You know, I, I want to put, and, and not to put Pete's comment on the spot, but I think it's an important one. So what are, what are your expectations here? We're not re-entering into a commodity super cycle. We're not going back to China flooding the market with demand and really creating support for inflation of both energy um, as well as, you know, commodities. And so if I go back to look at historical constructs for the, for the um, oil market, for instance, I'm not looking at this supply-demand imbalance that we see as being one that's going to be perpetual. And for me, if I look out over the next three to five years, to your point, Scott, I think there's going to continue to be pressure on holders of ES from an ESG perspective of fossil fuels. I think that there is a continuation. I mean, Jim talks about 
EV all the time as it relates to GM. Uh, you know, there is a trend towards, you know, the, the lowering of the use of fossil fuels. And for me, I think there's other opportunities. I much prefer to be in industrials over energy. Um, and I think that, you know, at this point, unless you're willing to trade this on a more short term basis and try to ride this wave of when this starts to settle out from a supply demand perspective, longer term energy port companies are probably not going to be a big part of my portfolio. And I'm okay with that because I think I can get my cyclical exposure elsewhere. Speaking of your portfolio, let's talk about some of the moves that that you've made. Let's talk about the buys first. CDW, tell me about that. It's a new buy. It is. So, uh, you know, one of the things we've been talking about, we've been talking about exposure to kind of small cap companies. And and one of the things that I look at is economic recovery and how much that could benefit small businesses. And if you think about CDW, um, you know, they're really agnostic as it relates to as a technology reseller. And so if you're thinking about this increase in enterprise spend and you already have a lot of exposure to the big tech, there's less disruption in a CDW because they are agnostic across many platforms. This was historically a hardware provider. And so, you know, hardware has somewhat fallen out of favor, but they are increasing their exposure to the cloud. And I think this is a great way to get um, additional exposure to the technology sector, but more importantly, to this overall growth in tech spend across all different types of businesses, small businesses in particular. How about GPN, global payments? I think that plays into this same idea, the narrative you just laid out, right? Absolutely. So if you think about global payments, I mean, we're pretty entrenched here. I mean, there's nothing new here with electronic payments in in the U.S. And, you know, somewhere between, you know, kind of the big end um, and there's a couple of providers there and the small end represented by companies like Square, uh, there is an opportunity for, you know, a global payments provider. There's been a lot of acquisition, um, a lot of merger consolidation in this industry. There was a you know big purchase by GPN last year um, in a merger. And so we think they're well positioned to continue. But again, Again, this is thematic. This is the rise of the small business, the rebirth of the small business. And how do you play that? Not just by buying small cap stocks, but by also, you know, some of these providers of services to small cap companies and to small businesses in our communities. You sold ADP. Why? Uh, it's, it's expensive. <laughs> Um, you know, I think we, we owned ADP. We've owned ADP for a long time. Um, but we also own this in thinking about, you know, sort of this re-enrollment process. There's going to be, you know, more more employees on the rolls. They're going to continue to have users. Um, you saw a lot of trade into ADP, and it got pretty expensive. And so whereas we're still holding a company like United Health, for instance, as it relates to the improvement in the employment market, um, we think that ADP is just a little rich. We love the company, love the cash flow, could definitely come back to this. But just from, you know, a, a relative opportunity perspective, we felt like there was better options. Fidelity National also exited. This is more of a secular play, um, Scott. So we think about, you know, sort of banking systems um, and a lot of the changes. I mean, I'm not going to get into, you know, digital assets and, and you know, the potential for DeFi and, 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 you know, crypto over the course of the next few years. But just thinking about kind of secular, secular demand for company services, um, we don't see a lot of growth in, in Fidelity. And, and so, therefore, we're looking at it in terms of there's just probably better ways to play what we think is happening over the course of the next three to five years in the financial services industry. In general. All right, good stuff. We'll bounce for a couple minutes. Up next, Josh Brown already mentioned NVIDIA. He said he wasn't supposed to, but he did anyway, which means we are going to officially trade it next. It's been a big winner for him, too. Up more than 40% this year and more than doubling over the past year. 
It just got a new price target, too, and it's a street high. We'll tell you what it is. We'll debate it in our call of the day. By the way, next week on the half, the Fed has spoken, and so have some of the world's biggest investors. Now the investment committee weighs in on where to put your money to work in the second half of the year. We're going to debate specific stocks and sectors. A supersized desk is joining us. It's our two-day stock summit. It begins Monday right here on the Halftime Report. We're going to get you set for the summer. We'll get you set for the second half. Should be fun. Can't wait for that. We'll be right back. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Take a look at shares of NVIDIA today, hitting a new all-time high once again, also getting a new street high price target at Bank of America. They see the stock reaching $900 per share, up 20% from here. Nice lift for those shares today, 770, up 3.3%. Josh Brown loves this name. Yeah, I think what what B of A is doing really well in this report is highlighting the absolute invasion that NVIDIA is pulling off at the data center. Uh, and, and really, a lot of people have historically thought of this stock as GPUs, like video games and crypto mining. But it is so much bigger than that. They made an acquisition of a company called Mellanox. They've been collaborating with Arm. They'll probably end up closing an acquisition of Arm. And what they've been able to do is penetrate data center servers with GPU chips. But that's only 5% penetration. And B of A is saying that could go to 30% over the next few years, which would imply a triple in data center sales for NVIDIA. It could be a $30 billion business. So this is just one more thing to add onto the pile uh, in addition to all the stuff I've been talking about for six years with AI uh, and with autonomous driving and on and on and on, not to re- rehash the whole litany. But the bigger lesson here, Judge, that I think is really helpful to our viewers, one of the worst mistakes you can make as a new trader um, coming, coming into this business is to think that you always need to have a new idea. 
and to think that every day you should be trading a new stock. Sometimes your oldest ideas, if you can stick with them, are way better than constantly generating new ideas. And so I have a 1,200% gain in this stock. I could never have that if I were waking up every day being like, all right, what else should I do? Or should I take a profit here and maybe hope to get back in lower? Like, if you have investment ideas that are still valid and, in fact, growing more valid as time goes by, sticking with them is way more profitable than trying to be cute or clever or outthinking other people and dancing in and out. This is a, a way better approach to investing. And, in fact, when you're up 1,000% plus in something, it offsets a whole lot of things that you were down 10 or 20% you changed your mind on. So not every stock is going to be a long-term hold for you, but the ones that earn a place in your long-term portfolio, you have to tend to them and keep focused on them and not always be tempted to get out of them to do the next thing. The next thing is rarely going to be as good if you know what you're doing. It's funny you say that because I wanted to bring up with you um, a point earlier. We didn't get to it. Not, we're going to get to it now. I'm looking at CrowdStrike, right? It's it's up today on a decidedly down day. It's the next Nvidia. It's, you know, eight, buck, it's eight, the next eight bucks or so. Yeah, eight bucks or so off of its high. And when our producers asked you in preparation for the program today, hey, what do you have new? Are you buying anything new? You're like, I don't need to buy anything new when my stocks, my growth stocks, like the NVIDIAs of the world or this one in particular, CrowdStrike, continue to hit new highs and do well even in a down tape. And it speaks to exactly what you're talking about right now. Listen, they slaughtered a lot of these growth uh, software names in late February and through March and April. That's a requirement. You have to be able to live through that. I can show you how many 30% drawdowns I've lived through NVIDIA since 2015. It's not pleasant. You have to be able to, and the reason why you live through them is because you understand that bigger picture, you're in a secular growth story that's got almost no competition. That's what's going on with NVIDIA right now. They own AI, their platform is unassailable, and I think that's where ultimately things are gonna go with CrowdStrike. And that stock, as we're talking, is making a new all-time record high, okay? So I've been screaming about the stock since a buck 20. I'm sticking with it just because it's up and I can trade for free on Robinhood it's not a reason to trade out. I want to be there, right? So I think about CrowdStrike the same way that I was thinking about NVIDIA. Are you going to tell me that you think ransomware attacks are going to go away tomorrow or they won't get worse or scarier? If you tell me that with conviction, okay, I'll take a profit. But I don't think you can. And in fact, this might be as big of an issue for America in the next 10 years as climate change is and as much money having to be thrown at this problem. So this is another secular grow. I want to stay long. I want to stay long NVIDIA. These companies are changing the world. And I'm not going to change my mind about them just because I'm up 20, 30 percent, 100 percent even. Uh, so that's the way that I think about investing in individual names away from my broader portfolio. Yeah, crowds at uh, a high of the day, as you see there, as we, uh, we said on a decidedly down tape. It's not all that far, five bucks or so away from its 52-week. Pete, going back to NVIDIA, I mean, you've traded it in the past, I think. Yeah. I don't think you own it now. I know yeah. you like it. Chips I are don't. moving again, too. Yeah. 
Absolutely they are. And, and to, uh, you know, I think Josh really lays out a really good plan because he's talking about the investment side. There's also the trading side of things, right? And when I look at the trading side of NVIDIA, because I have not been that long-term investor that Josh is talking about, I've had other names that I've chosen over the years, whether it's Apple or Target or whatever it might be. But when I look at NVIDIA, there are a lot of traders involved in this stock. And what I mean by that, Scott, is on June 2nd, we had buyers of calls that were going to expire within days. On June 5th, same thing. On June 4th, rather, the same thing. June 7th, the same thing. And they were buying right at the strike, but they were not buying time at all. And they were right. They were right when the stock was trading 660, when it was trading 700, and when it was trading even higher than that. So we've seen a lot of option paper that's come into this name. It's been a great trading vehicle for us as, as, as traders in, in the options world. But, you know, I, I totally agree with what, what Josh is saying, which is there are investments out there and you are going to have some pitfalls. And I go back to Apple and I think, well, I've owned this thing forever, literally since the 1990s. And this is a stock where we lost, obviously, the, the, the man who created the entire company. We had a lot of fits and starts along the way. A lot of people who didn't really like what was happening with Tim Cook early on. And yet that stock has done nothing but grow and do better and go into different areas of the marketplace than they ever expected probably to be. And they've just continued to be this animal that they are. So I think there are distinguishing facts between whether or not you're investing in a stock or trading in a stock. And I've traded a lot in the semiconductor space. That's been a great activity area. AMD just yesterday, they were buying the 82 strike calls. Um, and, and before you know it, the stock's trading 85. Those options went from 70 cents up to $3 plus. So it gives you just a great uh, opportunity right in front of the face like, AMD, do I want it long term? I'm not so sure that I do, but I can understand the people who want to be there. But I will trade it. I'll trade NVIDIA and I'll trade a lot of these other names as well because the opportunities are there in front of us. All right. Good stuff, Pete. Appreciate that very much. Let's get the headlines yep. now with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel. Scott, here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Apparently, what's old is new again. The head of the EPA is reinstating one of two key advisory committees that he dismantled earlier this year. He said that advisors appointed under former President Trump were overly friendly to business. Forecasters say that heavy rains and flooding will hit portions of the Gulf Coast later today. Tropical storm warnings are in effect for parts of Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama and Florida. Some areas may get up to 12 inches of rain by the end of the weekend. And tonight on the news, the latest storm track and more on the heat wave that's been baking the western part of the country. In North Carolina, rescue teams are searching again for two people from a group that went over a dam. Three people died. Four others suffered non-life-threatening injuries. The incident happened Wednesday night, but officials didn't receive a 911 call until yesterday afternoon. And in the West Bank and Jerusalem, renewed clashes between Palestinian protesters and Israeli forces. Palestinian media reporting at least 47 people injured. Hundreds gathered to protest against an Israeli settlement. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right. Good weekend to you, Rahel. Thanks so much. Stay with us. Pete's latest trades in unusual activity coming up next right here on The Hap. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. 
Edward Jones, member SIPC. Let's hit another stock that's up on a down day. Right there, Twilio's up 2.5%. It's a carry stock. And maybe, Carrie, you feel the exact same way that Josh articulated his feelings about CrowdStrike and NVIDIA with this one. What do you think? Yeah, so just like we're not through with ransomware, we are not through with getting notifications about everything from when you can go pick up your dog at the vet to when you can go into your dentist. I mean, there are notifications galore. It used to be Uber, Lyft, and airlines, and that was what Twilio was the backbone of all of that communication to clients. And now it's just everything. And that's a mushrooming category. And in terms of software, they're at the lead. And we think the stock is fantastic, even though you know, it's gone up a ton, then it came down, and now it's going on a run again. I'd like to say that apropos of what the, the stocks are doing that are in this sort of fast growth um, part of the market that took a big hit from mid-February until recently, I, I think that because the Fed's message was relatively benign, that investors who had been shying away from these stocks because of the fear of inflation and higher interest rates, which means you have to use a higher discount rate when you do a valuation of you know, what this stock is worth that isn't going to earn money for a few years. They feel relieved. And just as investors came back to the large cap growth technology social media companies, they've now felt able to go back and take a little bit more of a bite of risk and increase their risk appetite. And you're seeing that with, you know, all, all of the, um, the, the cloud companies, Cloudfare, um, CloudStrike, uh, and, you know, Everett, Twilio, Peloton, another name we own, they're all up today. The Nasdaq is down half a percent. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The Dow is down, you know, 1.1, you know. So, so that, I think, is what's going on. But we like yeah, Twilio know, another- very much here. I get it. I'm looking at another one. Uh, Adobe's up 2%. We're, Shannon's actually going to weigh in on that one, too, uh, following their quarter. That's coming up. But, Pete, you have unusual activity right now, right? Yeah, I'll give you a couple of quickies. We got two hits on both these two different stocks. So Freeport McMoran was a $44 stock at the beginning of June. Now it's trading just beneath 35 and we saw some huge activity in there, Scott. They bought 4500 in the July 38 calls. Those are going for about $0.83. Cents. They also bought 9000 of the August 41 calls for a little over a dollar. So two very large trades going in after this for looking for some sort of a bounce. But they're buying a little bit of time. They're going out to July and August. Same thing is true when we're looking over at Micron. Stock was trading right around 77 It's a little bit lower than that now. And they bought 5000 of the September 95 calls. They also bought another 3,000 of the August 95 calls. So aggressive buying in both cases to hitting twice in both cases. And a real quick update, we had some U.S. steel buying. They were going out to August 35 strike calls. They were buying those calls. Those have gotten cut in half with this pullback in the stock. I think you got to get rid of these calls. I have my own sort of a, a system that I go with. When it drops by 50%, when it's something over a dollar, I'm out. So I'm about to be out of these calls probably before the end of the show. All right. Love it. Good stuff, Pete. Thank you. There's Adobe, all-time high on the back of its earnings, as I said. What do you do from here, though? Shannon owns it. We're going to debate it next. Talk about that right after this. Hey, what a day for Adobe. New record high today. They posted strong Q2 results. Shan, you own it. What's the trade here now? Keep riding it. Take some profits. 
No, this is you just got to keep with this one. I mean, we've seen a little bit of strength coming into this, but the stock has underperformed over the last year. Um, and really, this is a you know a great example of if you think about digital experience and you think about how we're delivering you know everything to our customers, to our clients across our business, or, you know across our businesses. Um, I just feel like if you see this growth in both digital media and both digital experience, although they didn't raise the guidance for fiscal year, um, I. I definitely see that coming, um, especially if they continue the strength that we've seen. The fourth quarter is typically the strongest for this stock. Um, and so I think now would be a great time to initiate a position and kind of ride it through the second half of the year, which should continue to be strong. There's some great comments by the C- CEO on Tech Check earlier today um, and very excited about them getting some of their workforce back into the office uh, because they talked about the importance of collaboration. This was a great report. Um, thrilled with the uh, the price action that we're seeing on this stock, but it's definitely not too late to get into this one. Yeah, no, Kramer agrees with you, I'm sure. He, he called it the best quarter ever for Adobe, uh, said their CEO was Brady-like, which I know you'll, you'll get as a Patriots <laughs> fan I, that I know you are. You understand the reference that he's talking about perhaps more than most. Absolutely. I mean, I think if you look at this and you couple something like, you know, we love CRM, you know, on top of the Salesforce chassis to be able to to leverage creative content on top of that and be able to deliver that in a seamless way. We're going to continue to see growth even in places like Adobe Sign, which have been so critical over the course of the last year or so. Uh, I, you know, I couldn't be more excited about this stock. And I love the way that this is the intersection of media and technology, two themes that are so important in our portfolio. All right, good stuff. We have more trades ahead. As we head to break, check out three names hitting new all-time highs today. We mentioned we're trying to show you some green names, too, on what is a down day across the board. Intuit is one. Extra space storage. There it is. It's fractional mover, but it does hit a new high, as does Generac. We're back in two minutes. Got a question for the Halftime Investment Committee? If you want to send us a video, we can play it on air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. Juneteenth, the commemoration marking slavery's end, is now a federal holiday. President Biden signing the bill into law, making it the first new national holiday since Martin Luther King Day was established back in 1983. And over the past year, many in the black community and business leaders have been using the holiday to highlight inequality in America. Our Frank Holland joins us now with a look at the bank sector. Hi, Frank. Hey there, Scott. Well, black banks have gained an additional $1.5 billion in lending power since the death of George Floyd, created by a $150 million increase in equity capital generated by large financial institutions investing in them, as well as higher deposits. Those banks, they offer more than 85 percent of their loans to black homeowners and black business owners, according to the National Black Bank Foundation, really highlighting the socioeconomic impact of black banks. Mortgage lenders, they deny black applicants at a rate 80 percent higher than white applicants, according to data collected by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Black business owners are more than two times as likely to be denied financing than white business owners, according to new research from McKinsey. We spoke with the co-founder of the National Black Bank Foundation, who was emphasizing to large corporations that every dollar invested with a black bank turns into $10 of capital that might not otherwise be available for black borrowers. 
So every corporation out there, if, if, if their values are on paper and their press releases are saying that they support equity, they support opportunity for all, then they need to think about those institutions in the black community that are fighting that fight every day and allow black banks to compete for the business. In December, the National Black Bank Foundation facilitated a historic deal between the NBA's Atlanta Hawks and a syndicate of the 18 black banks to provide $35 million in financing for a new practice facility for that team. The co-founder says BMO Bank, the official bank of the NBA's Milwaukee Bucks, at the team's request, is actively working with black banks to help them generate more equity capital. Scott, back over to you. You know, Frank, we, we obviously see the impact that blank black banks have when when they see increased investment. What's the state of these institutions, though, nationally? You know, Scott, unfortunately, on the decline, uh, 20 years ago, there were nearly three times as many black banks than there are today. Now, some of that is due to consolidation. Some of those banks were well-run businesses and they were bought by people who weren't black. But a lot of it has to do with uh, not enough government and regulatory support. And unfortunately, not enough consumer report, uh, support. A lot of times people in black neighborhoods aren't supporting them. Um, the, uh, the co-founder of the National Black Bank Foundation says that needs to change. But more importantly, we need to see more corporations invest in black banks. Yeah. All right, Frank, appreciate it very much. Thank That's you. Frank Holland reporting for us. We'll step away. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. I want to remind you once more, uh, next week on the Halftime Report, the Investment Committee Stock Summit. You've heard from the Fed. You've heard from some big investors on this program. Now you'll hear from our committee about where to put your money to work as we head into summer trading and the second half of the year. We're talking specific stocks. We're talking sectors. We'll get you picks in tech and growth and value. A supersized desk is going to join us, too. Cannot afford to miss that next week. We are looking forward to that on Monday and Tuesday. We'll do final trades in just a second. Carrie, I do want to note this op-ed that you wrote, and it's posted on CNBC.com. Drive everybody over there to take a look at that. What's the subject that you wrote about? It's about the recent rotation of the market and where to put your money. Talks about value growth changes that we've seen lately. So thanks. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, yeah, we look forward to, uh, to checking that out. Do you have a uh, final trade for us, Kerry? Sure. Uh, Visa, it's been an underperformer so far this year. It plays right into people spending more money. It's an inflation hedge because as prices go up, they get their cut. As people travel overseas, they will get more of that, too. All right. Good stuff. Good weekend to you. Uh, Josh Brown, Reform Broker, what do you have for me? Um, Store capital, price target raise at Raymond James to 39. This thing's paying a 4% dividend yield. People are always asking, where do I get yield? Where do I get yield? REITs is where you get yield. All right, Shan, what do you have? Trex, uh, all these increases in lumber prices have had a lot of consumers looking at um, composite decking. Um, we're going to continue to see that trend. And they are ready. They are, have increased production 70 percent over 2019. Okay. And finally, Pete. I'm going to give you PayPal, Scott. We were seeing this just towards the end of the show here. I saw some unusual option activity in there. It's a stock that's actually trading extremely well today, moving to the upside. We love this company. And whenever I see options there, I can't help myself. i got to jump in. So I think the stock's going towards 300 in a hurry. All right. Everybody I have agree, a great Pete. weekend. I think, it takes, I think it takes 300 out. Nice. Let me take you out. <laughs> <laughs> Let me take you guys out of today's program. I'm just looking over at the, uh, the Dow. Dow's down about 440. Uh, so we're going out with a bit of a whimper 
uh, at least at this very moment. St. Louis Fed President Bullard, a little more hawkish than perhaps the market was expecting. Stocks really took a down leg after that. We'll see how it goes over the next couple of hours. Have a great weekend. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.